Amen. Well, welcome to church today. We're diving right in. If you have a Bible, you can meet me in Matthew chapter 11. We're going to be there in just a moment. My name is Mitch. If you are a guest of ours, I'm really glad that you are here today. I'm one of the pastors and uh, I love this place. And uh, it's uh, it's about to be summer. Are you ready for the heat? A lot of no's. A lot of no's. I'm not either. It was a rude awakening this week. It was very hot. That's okay. Last week we kicked off a series of messages called What Would Jesus Say To? And then we put a blank. And so last week we had a conversation about war. And hopefully you've had some time to think that through, to process that a little bit, to walk down that road. And hopefully you'll continue. Uh, But we were talking really about what Jesus has to say to physical war. And we drew some pretty important conclusions to that. And you can catch that on YouTube or the podcast or any of the channels that we do that. Today, though, I want to transition from this idea of what would Jesus say to physical war straight into this idea of what would Jesus say to deconstruction. Or another way to say that is we are shifting from a physical war into a conversation about spiritual war. Because what Jesus says is that we don't actually wrestle flesh and blood, right? We don't actually wrestle against flesh and blood. We're wrestling about what's behind that, what's underneath of that. We're wrestling the powers that be in the spiritual realm. And so if you're new to Christianity or anything and you're like, what did I just walk into? Welcome. And it's going to be fine. But uh, what we're talking about today is what would Jesus say to deconstruction? Maybe you've heard that word. Maybe you've uh, thought about that. But really what it is, is this idea of deconstructing your faith. There's a growing secularization of our culture. We are increasingly becoming secular. So what, what 50 years ago would have felt like a pretty Christian nation, we are not a Christian nation. In fact, the, there are there are even stats for this. According to Pew Research, in 2007, so not that long ago, maybe that is longer ago than I would like to admit, 2007, 78% of U.S. adults would identify themselves as a Christian. Think about that. 78%. In 2021, that number dropped to 63%, which is still shockingly high to me. Can we be real with each other? There are not 63% of this country acting like Christians right now. Moving on. In the same study, if we were to flip that and ask the question about religion in general, not even just Christian, but religion in general of any kind, in 2007, only 16% of U.S. adults identified themselves as having no religion at all. The famous nuns. I'm sure you've heard of them. The famous nuns. There's just no religious affiliation at all. In 2021, that number rose all the way up to 29%. So now 29% of people do not identify with any kind of religion at all. So what does that do? It begins to shift the thinking of our culture. It begins to shape the way we do Life And whether we like it or not, all of us end up 
discipled in some way, shape, or form by the culture that we find ourselves in. And so it's critically important that we ask ourselves what Jesus would say to this idea of deconstruction, of tearing down my faith. One more stat, I thought it was interesting that Gallup, a different research group in a separate study, found that the nuns rapidly decrease with age. (laughs) What do I mean? That when you are at age 20, 33% of those with no religious affiliation is true, but it drops all the way to 7% by the time you hit age 83. (laughs) Naturally, as you draw towards what you perceive to be the end of your life, you begin to think about the end of life more, right? Now, granted, those are different um, age groups, different um, categories of human who have gone through different things and different... But it is true that as we near what we perceive to be the end, we begin to think about what's next. So we're increasingly secular. But I think we have to unpack the why behind that a little bit more. What is the reason that we are becoming increasingly secular? What is underneath This idea that I need to deconstruct the faith that I grew up with. What's behind that? It's not all bad. But there are subtle shifts in our thinking as a secular society that play into how we arrive at the conclusions that we arrive at. And so it's very important. So uh, the short answer is what Andrew Root calls subtraction or deconstruction. But let's define our terms, okay? So if you're taking notes today, you can write this down. Deconstruction, to define our terms, is the process of systematically dissecting and often rejecting the beliefs that you grew up with. You can just leave that up for a second, Jordan. Think about that. If you grew up in the faith... If you haven't yet, you probably will have a moment where you come to the place where you begin to ask yourself the question, is this true? What is true? And do I believe what has been handed down to me as truth? And then when an entire culture begins to secularize and the pressure is no longer that you ought to be in the family of God or you ought to be religious or there is a God out there, but we begin to move and slide from that as a culture, it becomes increasingly more important for you to know the truth, as Jesus said, so that the truth can set you what? Free. We go a step farther because... What we believe here at Redeemer City Church is that Jesus, according to his own words in the New Testament, when he was walking on this earth, said this to his followers. He said, I am the singular way, which leads to the fact that I am the singular truth, which leads to the singular path to life. Because he says, I am the way, the truth and the life and nobody comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus himself is truth. But how did we get to this place where so many people 
are systematically deconstructing their faith and never embracing it back in a healthy way. Because we could be honest, there's a lot of unhealthy way in the history of the church. And it's not just in our generations or our parents or the one before them, our grandparents and our great grandparents, right? We go all the way back to the Christian crusades and we could see that there are, there are problematic things within Christianity from the beginning. In fact, we go all the way to the beginning, right? And say, Adam and Eve, there were problematic things in our secular thinking, right? So this is nothing new. It's just we have a new way to wrestle with it, right? That our secular culture is different than that one. And so it's important for us to consider that. And, and what's really happened is we're subtracting or deconstructing in a place that is increasingly becoming dominated by an age of authenticity. Right? Like, if I was to poll the audience today and give you some options of why you choose to go to church at Redeemer or why your friends go to church there, like, one of the dominant things that's in conversation today is I want to go to a place that is authentic. I want to be around genuine people. And, and we would affirm that. Right? Like, like we're, we're for that, right? But the reality is, is as you begin to run that path of authenticity, there are pitfalls that we find. So I want, I want to read something at the risk of losing you over reading to you from a book, a real paper book. I know, but I just want, I want to read you some of the things that Andrew Root points out because it's fundamental to the conversation we are about to have about what Jesus says to deconstruction. Fundamental that we understand the, the culture that we live in and find ourselves in. So, so listen to this in, in a section that Andrew Root calls picketed faith, right? So think about a fence and it has pickets on it, right? So we're constructing our fence. The fence that will be around our life is what we're getting, what we're constructing. And so he says a couple of things here. He says, some people have indeed subtracted the concept of God from their lives, but others have held to this concept. Most who continue with a conception of God explain that they have individually chosen to keep that picket in their lives for their own individual reasons. It is authenticity that pushes and justifies them in keeping the picket nailed to the fence of their individual lives. So even in this age of authenticity, even for those of us who follow Jesus, there is this increasing space where we're saying, I am choosing to have God in my life because God is impacting my life in the ways that I need him to. Do you hear the issue with this type of thinking, who's the center of your faith at that point? I, <laughs> right? So he keeps going. He says, others living literally next door see no need for the concept and therefore kick the conceptual picket labeled God out of their fence. Some even feel a rush of excitement and even hubris as they announce their bravery to live beyond the concept of God. 
Others feel a little sad or even nostalgic, wishing they could continue living with this concept of God, but admitting that they have individually outgrown the concept's value. God's not meeting my needs anymore. For them to hold to that concept would now be inauthentic. Those who kick out the concept of God, whether they do so arrogantly or sadly, feel oddly mature, courageous, and sophisticated as, the individual, as, as they individually live without the need for God. So then he boils it out of this. The real problem with the subtraction stories like this are that they turn everything, including God, into a concept. That God is just a concept for me to receive or reject. In the age of authenticity, I individually evaluate concepts for their worth. And then I pick and choose those that help me follow my own path to authenticity. Concepts do not put a demand on me. And here we come to the issue, right? Concepts do not put demands on me. So if the concept of God helps me be authentically me, then it's worth keeping. But if the concept makes me feel unhappy or guilty or worse, restricted, I abandon the concept for the sake of my own authentic journey. Subtraction or deconstruction and authenticity go together. The job of the truly authentic person is to subtract all concepts that are blocking the path to authenticity. And we, that could extend beyond the concept of God, right? It can go to marriage, morality, ideas, all of them. And they better not be restricting to my personal freedom. So I say all of that to say this, when you become, as a part of our culture increasingly convinced that authenticity is Lord, right? That my own individual freedom and journey is Lord. Then those parts of your value system that no longer make you happy get deconstructed and thrown out. What's the problem with this? Happy is not a destination on a map. Right. You don't just simply arrive at happy. Those of you are that are married or have children before those things came along, you thought this, (laughs) this will make me happy. And it sure does. Sometimes. (laughs) But let's be real. Who are some of the most frustrating people in your life? Your family. Right? Because happy is not a destination. (laughs) You, You don't graduate to happy, right? When my kids were born, I was so... I was thrilled. I was so happy. Until 2 a.m., Shut up. No, I didn't say that. (laughs) I might have thought it, but I didn't say it. Right? And then they get a little older. 
You, can you imagine all the things I've done for my kids? I'm looking at you two right here. All the things, and they, they dare question my authority. Can you believe that? Right? Why? Because, because they want to be happy, and I'm in the way of their happiness. Right? And we could, we could just take that concept further and further, right? Like, I vote for the people on election cycles that I think are going to make me happy. And when they don't, Happy is like nailing jello to the wall. Because you might wake up with a cold tomorrow and you're not happy. You might wake up tomorrow and find out that somebody in your life has let you down horribly. And you're not happy. We, 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 we cannot, like, our self-worth and our value as a human being has to come from outside of us. It cannot come from inside of us because we are deceitful to ourselves, right? That's what scripture says, that a heart, our heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? Well, we can't know truly what's going to make us happy. So what we actually need is not just something to make us happy. We need an anchor for our soul because we have to drive past happiness exit on the road to where is my soul anchored? Very important difference for us to get to. So the question I want to ask you today, along with the question we want to ask of Jesus, is what is going to be the anchor for your soul? What would Jesus say to deconstruction? Jesus might say something like this about deconstructing your faith. Do that. You should do that. It is, it is actually an essential part of following Jesus. Because if Jesus tells us that we will know the truth and the truth will set us free, then he actually wants you to pursue the truth. That is important. But he wouldn't stop there, would he? He would say, do that. Go ahead and deconstruct the things that were given to you and see if they then line up as you reconstruct what I'm actually offering you. Does that make sense? Deconstruct what you've been handed, recognizing that it is vitally important that you don't just deconstruct and go away. Because you have not yet arrived at the truth. You, you still need to know the truth, and then the truth will set you free. Jesus modeled this as well. We go through three straight chapters of the Bible in John 2, 3, and 4 and see three different examples of how he actually called people to this and not just people who were following him but people who weren't yet following him we're actually the invitation from us to the world is you deconstruct you ask the questions of your own faith whether that be science or or atheism or another religion like we would actually welcome that conversation that we all go through the process of deconstructing the faith that we've been handed In John chapter 2, Jesus tells the religious leaders to tear down or deconstruct the temple. You're like, big deal. The Sadducees, who could not fathom the destruction of the temple, not to mention their elaborately constructed temple religion, must have been fuming. Who does this guy think he is? Who does this poor carpenter guy think he is? Right? Like, to question us. 
and then demand that we question us. Go to John chapter 3. Jesus tells Nicodemus that he needs to be born again. And he asks the obvious question. Am I supposed to go back in my mother's womb as a grown man and be born again? No, what was Jesus asking him? Jesus was asking him to deconstruct or unlearn what had made him a respectable spiritual leader in that day and age. And so Nicodemus walks away discouraged, not because he deconstructed and found Jesus and didn't understand it or wanted to reject it, but in fact, because he deconstructed all of that just to learn that Jesus is, in fact, who he says he was. And that would come at great personal cost to Nicodemus. He very much understood what Jesus was inviting him to. John chapter 4, Jesus tells the woman at the well to tear down her liturgical obsession with worshiping in one specific place, right? He says, actually, there's going to become a time and it's very soon when you can worship God in spirit and the truth, not just on this mountain or in Jerusalem, but what he was doing was not deconstructing the relevance of places or irrelevance of places, but he was actually saying all places will now be able to become places of worship. Powerful stuff. He was expanding her thinking to see what was true worship. So there's hundreds of places in the Bible we can go to see where God calls people to deconstruct their faith and then reconstruct it. There's one particular story, though, where I think we today get an answer about what exactly we're supposed to do when we deconstruct our faith. And obviously, in one morning, we can't reconstruct everything that I would love to reconstruct. But I at least want to begin this thought process for you. And it's found in Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, we, we see Jesus teaching a bunch of people. And then another character is introduced by the name of John. John the Baptist. John the Baptist was... Uh, a guy who in his own right was a great leader. In fact, he was the goat of leadership, right? He was the greatest of all time. Jesus says there are no, there's nobody among men like John the Baptist. And yet John the Baptist, when he first saw Jesus come and the crowds began to leave him and go to Jesus, what was he so famous for saying? Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He must increase. I must decrease. Like, boom. That's what we're after. But then he comes toward the end of his own life. And what does John begin to do? He begins to deconstruct his faith. He begins to ask the question, is this Jesus the one that I'm supposed to be looking for? Right. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse one. It says this when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John heard, where's he at? In prison, there's some things along the way of life that are going to cause you to ask questions about your faith. Imagine John preaching and teaching, pointing people to Jesus, seeing Jesus, responding the way you are supposed to with Jesus and getting put in prison for preaching Jesus. So he's in prison and he hears about the deeds of Christ and he sends word by his disciples, his own disciples 
and said to Jesus, listen to this question. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we look for another? He's deconstructing his faith, in my opinion. He's sitting in prison for preaching and teaching and discipling in the ways of Jesus. And Jesus came and John saw and heard and he, are you the one? When he first saw Jesus, he was sure. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was sure. And then stuff happened in his life and he was not quite as sure. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you were at one time in your life, you were sure. And some things have happened and maybe just life in this culture has happened. And you're now not so sure Maybe you've got family members asking important questions or maybe you're looking around saying what I see in the body of Christ in general is is not necessarily what I think is true or sure. And you're asking those questions like John is. And I want you to sit with Jesus answer. Jesus doesn't start to preach. Jesus doesn't send him a textbook. Jesus doesn't go to this in-depth, elaborate, uh, apologetic defense on science and the creation of the world. He doesn't say, go talk to Caesar because he'll actually save you. What does he say? Verse 4, and Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and what you see. Go and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. Who doesn't want to be a part of that? But what's the problem? There's still a problem because all of us would want to be a part of that. But listen to what Jesus says next. And blessed is the one who is not offended By me. How self-aware is Jesus? You're going to love all the things I'm doing. But you're probably not going to love all the things I'm what? Saying. You see, because to confess Jesus as Lord. Means that there's some things that I am going to find in his word that he calls me to that are offensive. To my authentic self. And if you think they're offensive to you, wait till you start talking about them openly at your campus, at your workplace, in your neighborhood. So John the Baptist, the goat of Christian leadership, is asking Jesus the question, are you the anchor for my soul? Because I'm clearly sitting in jail because of you. (laughs) Are you the anchor for my soul? Are you the one we're looking for? And Jesus' answer is perfect. His answer to John and his answer for us deconstructing our faith in an age of authenticity is to go tell John, what you hear and see. I want to give you two things out of that before I finish. 
that I think are really important. First of all, and those of you on the screen if you want to write them down. Those of us with a constructed faith, those of us that aren't questioning things right now, we are on the most important mission that we could ever be on. You see, you don't, you're not just sitting here in this church to get fat spiritually. It's not to just come and take, 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 right? You're, you're on a mission with the rest of us. Because here's the reality. If you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, Jesus turns around and looks at you just like he looked at those original 12 and said, look up for the fields are white unto harvest. The problem is not the people. The problem is the laborers, right? That there are not nearly enough of us who are ourselves tasting and seeing that the Lord is good every day of our life so that we can then turn around and be on mission with him to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Do you recognize that that was a, that was, that was the call to everybody who would follow Jesus? And he says, I'll be with you always in that place. Listen, you've been put, why are we doing growth track after church today? Because we fundamentally believe that you have been designed by God on purpose and that he has a great purpose for your life. It's not just something to check a box. You're not sitting here to check a box. We actually reoriented our service today so that at the end of this, you can try again to worship Jesus in spirit and truth. If you are here to just check a box, if you can't love the people here, serve the people here, share good news out of here in our neighborhood, give of your resources so that we can do that together better. If you can't do all of those things here, can I just ask you to go find a church that you can? We do not have time for you to just check a box. That is not why we're here. It's not. Those of us with a constructed faith are on the most important mission of all time. Paul tells his friends in Corinth, he says, you are literally God making his appeal to the world through you, the church. Why why do we keep pressing forward? Why do we keep expanding our thinking? Why do we keep expanding our footprint? Why do we want to move to a building in a few weeks, months, maybe years? I hope not. Pray for us. Why, why do that? It's just it's more comfortable to stay here. Why go, to, God, why go to more space? Because you have neighbors and co-workers and there's people in that neighborhood that need Jesus. And it's on you and I like, like seriously, it's on you and I. Now listen, I do believe in the sovereignty of God and I know that if they are called according to his purpose, he'll find them. But he's giving you and I the opportunity to be a part of that. And don't give that blessing to somebody else. You go have the conversation. You go share good news. Right? I think, man, I, I'm gonna, I could keep going. Those of us with constructive faith are on the most important mission. The second thing, though, those of us in the room or watching online or listening to this later who are deconstructing 
What does Jesus have to say to you in this text? Because he tells he tells his disciples, go tell John. But then what they tell John to do is what I would encourage you to do if you're in that place, that if you're deconstructing today, you must look in the right places and listen to the right people. Right? That it's not enough just to pull the picket off your fence and leave a hole in your fence. Right? That doesn't make any sense. If there's a board in the fence at your house that is not serving its purpose, you take it off and you replace it with a new board. And I would suggest to you that if the faith that's been handed to you needs to be deconstructed, it probably needs to be deconstructed. But then I would encourage you to look and listen for the truth. God's not afraid for you to go searching for the truth. He's not afraid of that at all. In fact, he says it will set you free. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. I want to give you one last thing that will help you, uh, even as you think through this. Um, where can you look and listen? Where can you start to look and listen? You, you can start with the Bible. There's an entire book of the Bible, one of the biggest books of the Bible, called the book of Psalms. And it has this incredible pattern that is the prevailing pattern in many of the stories that we see in Scripture. I've got a graphic for you that you can, you can put up. And Walter Brueggemann is a, a theologian who gave us this concept but in the psalms there is this journey of life that is very real to you and i and it goes like this orientation disorientation reorientation and if you were to look through the book of psalms you see a man or a writer who is authentic do you not God, I wish you would just kill my enemies. <laughs> you ever prayed that prayer? I've been afraid to pray that prayer. He wasn't. God, where are you? I go, I go to the depths. Where are you? And we could go on and on, but, but we go through these places where we think we have God figured out and we're oriented with our faith and then something happens, right? And 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 we get this myriad of our understandings exposed, right? And we become disoriented with our faith. And then we begin to come to a slightly better revised understanding of God, reorientation, only to have it all come tumbling down again. To where we find ourselves in a disorientation toward God. And it's a cycle of faith that's going to continue to happen in your life. Because God is going to continually shape you and mold you into who he wants you to be. Theologians sometimes call it sanctification. But if that sounds exhausting to you. Welcome to life. And I look around this room and I know like a handful of you, like you are, you are in 
the disorientation, like, God, why? Why is this happening to me? This is what it takes to have a relationship with anyone. You look at your marriage, you look at your kids, you look at your friendships, you look at... This is a cycle that we all go through all the time. Got great friends, and then we have a misunderstanding. And then we work on it, and then we're good. And then we have a misunderstanding, or my kids disobey, and we're back to disorientation. And we've got to reorientate, right? And so it's life. It's life. Everyone that I love and respect and care about at one point or another has made me question what I think about them. And I have to them. I probably have to you. You're like, why would you get up after one song? What's the matter with you? Disorientation. I want to encourage you not to be afraid of the process. Don't be afraid of the process. Why wouldn't we have that same experience in our relationship with God, except with God, for some reason, we seem to just want to throw him out. And that's begun, that's begun to trickle into other relationships where if I don't like that relationship, I can just get rid of it. No, no, no. Let's not, let's not quit on people. Trust what the Spirit of God is doing in your life and then look and listen to the right things. Read the Word. Talk to wise counsel. Pray to the Holy Spirit. Join a city group. Don't do life alone. Don't just listen to secular sources, though you should listen to some of them and process them. But don't let your experience with a sinful Christian take you away from a perfect Christ. See, because what I'm afraid of is that people are experiencing bad Christians and determining that there is a bad God. And can we all just be real? That we are, we are all not the guy, we just know a guy who is the guy. Right? We're not inviting people to us. <laughs> We're inviting people to Jesus and to join us in doing our very best to live out what Jesus has called us to live out. But make no mistake, if you're not a Christian today, this room is full of hypocrites. We can't help it. That's actually our confession, that there's only one guy who can make all things new. And we trust that he's going to do that. So deconstruct, but then reconstruct by honestly taking a look at who Jesus is. And says he was. Amen. Now have the band come back up. And we're going to. We're going to take round two. On worshiping him. The way that he deserves to be worshipped. And as they come up. I want to. I want to draw that net with you. If you are struggling with your faith. If you are doubting your faith. I just want you to, A, know that that's okay. That's part of the gig. Like, that's part of what this is. And I want you to know that Jesus is not afraid of that. Jesus is not disturbed by your doubts. 
But if I could say it to you this way, I think he's calling you to not just doubt him, but he's calling you to doubt your doubts. That just maybe those doubts are because you need to deconstruct some things. You need to lean into some things and begin to ask the questions of your faith. And who is Jesus? And is he real? And, and is he doing things in my life? And, and maybe you'll recognize that it's not because he's drifted away. But maybe it's because you've drifted away. And then I want you to know that you're not alone. You're not the only person doing that. You know, when it comes to truth, there is only one absolute truth. Right? Jesus. Truth is a person. Not a concept to bring it back to where we started. Life is not just about taking the concepts that we like and don't like and applying them to the fence in our life. You were designed by Jesus to be in relationship with Him, relationship with His people, and to go into all the world and invite everybody that you can find to come in to that banquet and taste and see that Jesus is good. So I just want to invite you as we stand and sing, you can stand with me. I want to invite you to do a little bit of deconstruction today. Whether it's at the level of your actual faith in God, we'd love to have that conversation with you. At the end of the service today, Jerome or I will be at the back at Info Central. We'd love to have that conversation with you. Set up time when we can. Because God's not afraid of that. But I think what might be true for a lot of us who have been following Jesus is that the deconstruction that we need to do is these things that I've believed as concepts, I think I need to deconstruct that and reconstruct my faith with the person that is Jesus. Does that make sense? maybe start to reorient my life even as I'm about to sing a couple songs in worship if God is just a concept to you this is just going to be a song but if Jesus is alive if the same spirit that took Jesus out of the grave is living in you as scripture says if you've confessed Jesus as Lord then he is not just a concept he is a person that has given you his spirit and power that is living in you and and there is a totally different response in worship if God is real and living in you than if he's just a concept so I want to encourage you if you if you are deconstructing in any way to step into that if we can help you in that we would love to do that Otherwise, I would encourage you just in this moment as I talk, just to ask the Holy Spirit to reignite that flame inside of you. Just like Pentecost, when that five tongues of fire came and filled the people, that's the same Spirit that will fill you. But not if it's just a concept. Amen. Let me pray. And we're going to take round two on worshiping a living God.